Hey everyone, this is Terry, one of the hosts of With Those I've Journeyed, an exploration of life's contours, intersections, and developments. This week we have something extra special to share with you. It's a new segment of our show that we call Tag Your It. It's pretty simple. We want to be able to offer virtual studio space to expand the voices of our show. So in Tag Your It, we hand over the microphone to one of our previous interviewees to become podcast host. In this inaugural episode of Tag Your It, Brittany Ryan, a friend that I interviewed earlier this month in an episode called The Empowered BMR, takes the DJ reins and interviews her friend Sarah about their shared journey out of Christianity and how to find empowerment in this world as a woman. What you're listening to right now is the full uncut version of Brittany and Sarah's discussion. But for our busier listeners who want the edited version of Brittany's interview, that's available as well. So if you want the full version, stay right where you are. If you want to hear an edited version of the interview, press stop now and load the edited version. That's enough for me. Take it away, DJ BMR. Hello, everybody. Hello. You may recognize my voice from a few weeks ago on the With Those I've Journeyed podcast. I am Brittany Ryan. I was a guest of Terry's on the... March 9th edition of Women's History Month. So I um, was asked by Terry, thank you very, very much, Terry, to take over as the first host of Tag Your It, where the hosts of this podcast ask somebody else to interview somebody that has gone through a journey with them. And so today I have my lovely, wonderful, amazing friend, Sarah Hankins here. That's me. And full disclosure, we may mention a few things because we recorded this once and it was a great recording. So great much podcast. Fun. High quality content. So good. And then the recording didn't work. So <clears throat> we're, you know, that was our rough draft. This is our final edition, final copy. So if we laugh or say things like, like we said last time, <laughs> that is what we are referencing. But this time we have wine, so we do. It's even better. Yeah, and the sun and the sunshine is shining longer because we <sighs> have sprung forward. We've sprung. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we're sitting here in this. I think it was pretty last time when we recorded, but it was. it was getting dark. It was getting dark and we have windows open and we were both like shivering with cold yeah. and excitement. Yeah. Shivering with cold and now we're old pros. Mm-hmm. We just do this all the time. I can do this all <laughs> day. <laughs> Hashtag Schmidt. Schmidt? New girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh <God>. So, um. <laughs> Anywho. Sarah. Yes, I want to start by discussing how we met one another yes um and i also do want to talk again about how food has brought us together because i think that that is like yeah i want to call this podcast the fruits of the spirit of feminism (laughs) and of friendship (sighs) yep because it is a feministic friendship yeah because we literally did meet over fruit and discovered that our journeys were same same but different yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about how we met and then I can also, <clears throat> you know, talk about my yeah. memories of you. Yeah. So I met Brittany 
the first summer that I lived in Seattle. So it was 2016, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Okay. I had moved to Seattle from North Carolina with my partner. um, And we moved out here, not really on a whim, but just like excited to explore, try new things, be in a new place, be around mountains, because that's what we loved. Anywho, we got here in October and I was like pretty lonely and depressed the first six months and um, was trying really hard to find friends because friendship and connection is really important to me. It's like a defining thing in my life is having people that I can trust and that I can have fun with and hopefully learn to be myself around. So I was feeling lonely. I'd like met people through work, but I hadn't necessarily had that like connection. And you guys know what I'm talking about, that connection when you meet somebody and there's just like sparks. It's chemistry. Uh And I think a lot of times people use that to talk about like romantic relationships or sexual relationships, but I think they're a huge part of friendships. Um, And I, uh, I volunteered at the farmer's market because... I loved farmer's markets and I, my husband was a chef and I'd been around food. And when I was in North Carolina, I'd done a little bit of writing about like local produce. And so I wanted to explore that in Washington because like whole other coast, there's got to be different things available. And I wanted to like make friends and get to know my community. So I volunteered for the market that was in my neighborhood and Um, I got there the first day and I showed up all peppy and happy and excited and met this incredible woman who just was like, I don't know, boom, there was this click and that obviously was Brittany. Um, and we just started connecting on lots of different things. I remember talking about Harry Potter and I remember talking about Gregory Allen Isaacoff Mm -hmm. and I remember talking about... I mean, food was a big part of it, and that we both were transplants who had moved to the West Coast from the East Coast. So those were like the first, the first memories I have of you are like, who's this dope chick <laughs> who like <laughs> wants me to hang out with her at the market? And like, I, I don't know, it just it felt like it felt like she saw me, and she was one of the first people who'd seen me really since I moved here. So that's my intro to it. What about you? Yeah, I remember um, you like this amazing ball of light and energy coming up towards me and introducing herself. And I was like, yeah, this is going to work. Like we're going to be friends. You can kind of tell, Mm -hmm. especially when you move to a new place and you you know, you have those friends of necessity when you first move to a place yep. and then you have friends that yep. you actually want to make. And there's, it's a real difference. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I knew early on with you that I wanted to be your friend. Um, but I had only like, it was just, you had this connection to me. Yes. I think connection is just as important in friend relationships as romantic relationships Mm -hmm. and it's also something that we don't really consider or talk about a lot like we don't I don't know we don't say things like we don't have that talk with one another like you do with romantic relationships yeah we don't have the DTR but you should should I feel like we did we did we did but it doesn't always happen yeah a lot of people don't communicate 
what they're looking for in a friendship or mm-hmm. any other relationship. But mm-hmm. it can be really beneficial to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. And I think I've been intentional about that <clears> since <throat> I was trying to, when I was trying to like make friends here that I wanted to be lasting friends. Yeah. Early on in conversations, yeah. I would be like, hey, I want to be your friend. Can right. we be friends? Um, and just naming that. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to let the... um. Seattle freeze get me yep yep type four over here in the yep. Enneagram we both are yeah so um yeah. I think too I, I think about that and I think about how um I am somebody who likes to say what other people think is the obvious like it for me it's important to say things out loud because maybe I don't get the social cues or I just want to make sure that I'm saying what's important to me um so if you're if you're a friend of mine you will probably know this because you'll get a text out of the blue saying like, I think you're awesome and this is why. And maybe I'm not uh, like great at doing it all the time, but I do that because to me it's super important to tell the people that you love that you love them and why you love them. So I think like that's something that resonated in our friendship is just like uh, telling each other why we are important and like what it's meant. Like we both do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you do that with other friends too. So I think that resonated was like, oh, this is a friend who's going to talk about her feelings with me. And like, when I say I love you, you're going to say I love you back. And that's really meaningful to me because I think it's important to hear that and to say it. Right. Yeah. And before we even had any conversations about our backgrounds from like the Christian, how we were brought up, um, which we will get into here in a little bit, there was this connection. Yeah. Like. Yeah, foreshadowing. (laughs) There was like this this connection that we had with one another. Um, Yeah, that then went deeper. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I knew we were going to be friends. Right. But then our partners became friends. Which doesn't always happen. Doesn't happen. We had been, John David and I had been on, John David is my husband partner. Mm -hmm. My Brittany. Yeah. Um. I like to call him my partner because husband is, you know, I belong to him kind of thing. And that right. just bugs me. So I'm going to call equals. him my partner. We're equals in this. We have a partnership. Um, he We had gone on a number of couple dates that I had dragged him along to. He's a much more like I can be by myself kind of person, go fishing. And I'm like, oh, I want to make friends and build a life here. So we've been on a number of couple dates that just didn't work out well. Like we didn't click. And I feel like meeting Sarah and Ben was like the last straw for John David of in the time frame that we were in. We had just moved to Seattle um, the summer before we met Sarah mm-hmm. and Ben. We've been on a number of them. So all that to say, I invited, I remember like having a conversation with you. I remember getting kind of shwasty <laughs> at Eve. Oh shit, our first date. Our first date when Ben was was so nervous. Oh my god, I was so nervous. Ben, yeah, we met up and sat at the bar and talked for hours. And when I came home, I was like, You have to meet Ben. We have to do this. We have to meet Ben and Sarah. You have to meet Ben and Sarah. We have to go out on a double date with them. And Johnny was like, Ugh, I don't know. Don't set me up with more boys. Yeah. And then he met Ben. And it was like, they're like, if you I don't know if they're like it just works they're they click just like we clicked and they're such great friends and so I love to yeah. see that and we all bond over food 
and we love to cook together and eat good food together and so it's just watch been Lord of the Rings together on Christmas or any day for any me time. and John David <laughs> Ben and I just critique it Ooh, it's great. and Sarah and John David we're very complimentary of one another in our relationship too like, John David and I are very similar in ways and uh-huh. Ben and Brittany are very similar in ways uh-huh. it's great we just all get along yeah and, and well, it's easy easy that's something we've been saying since the beginning like being friends with you is easy yep and not every relationship is like that and i'm not gonna say hard relationships aren't worth it but it's just really nice to find relationships that are they flow it's mm-hmm. natural mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah i don't have that with everybody no but sometimes it's work yeah so yeah and while I don't really want to spend, I mean, I do, we can talk about our partners and they're important in our lives and mm-hmm. who we are. But like, this is more, I think about us as women yeah. and how we've connected with one another Yes, and our journeys Yeah. in the, yeah, our journeys Yeah. together and separate. So I think about those, like the first like year or so of our friendship and I have like images of us on a dock at Green Lake Park. <laughs> Which um, is a park here in Seattle. Seattle, I'm going to interrupt you Yeah, for a yeah, second. go for it. Seattle is uh, surrounded by water on, like, all sides. All We've over. got the sound, the Puget Sound to the left, of, to the west of us. The west, the west of <laughs> us. <laughs> you're facing north. To the west of us, that is salt water. And then in the middle of Seattle, we have a lake called Green Lake. It's, it's a small lake. It's a small lake. And I wouldn't swim in there, but Sarah would, which she'll talk about later. (laughs) And then to the east of us, we have Washington. Which is my favorite lake in the Seattle area. And then below us, where we are now in North Seattle, we have Lake Union. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of lakes and bodies of water. So that'll be a thread through our story as well. Yeah. So, okay. We were on a dock. We were on a dock at Green Lake. And... I feel like we've spent a lot of time at Green Lake over our friendship, mm-hmm. but I just, I just see those days of us, like you and me just getting together. And I feel like it was pretty angsty from my side because at the time I was processing a lot of painful things. Like I'd been through this big move and I had moved out here and had my partner with me, but didn't like, I was going through a lot and like, I'd kind of left this like Christian bubble for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Or the, yeah, kind of for the first time in my life. And I just was like, I have so many questions and so many things are coming up that I don't know how to handle. And I hadn't gotten up the courage yet to go to therapy. And I'm not saying your friends should be your therapist by any means. But Brittany was a friend who'd been through a lot of things before I had. um, Coming from a similar kind of background and... I just think of those days as like really like foundational of us like building our friendship and being able to be vulnerable and say to you like, I've been scared to say this out loud to anybody, but I need somebody to process it with. And she was there and like walked through those things with me. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Can you, so you moved here from North Carolina, Mm -hmm. but where do you consider, I know you love this, love, hate this question, so I always (laughs) ask you. Uh, where do you consider home? And can you tell me a little bit about oh. your home journey? Yeah. Home is tough for me. Um, I, I'll i start at the beginning. I'm a child of missionaries. Um, 
Also known as a missionary kid. Yes. For those of us in the <laughs> Christian Or tradition. the shorthand MK, <laughs> which is great fun. Um, so I was born in Ecuador. My mom and dad, like they weren't missionary trippers. They were missionary lifers. Like it was their life. They spent 20 years living in Ecuador, which is a small country in South America named after the equator, which it rests on. So Ecuador, equator. Um, and it's in the Andes mountains and it's, well, part of it is at least, and it's an incredibly beautiful place. And, um, I lived there off and on until I was 16 years old. I actually have dual citizenship. Um, if you look at me, you would see a white girl who's like from California because that's where both my parents are from. Um, but I do speak Spanish fluently and like love the experiences that I had in Ecuador and I treasure them. And that's, it's like a, it's, it's been a recurring theme in my life where I'm like, I don't know exactly how to fit this into the story of who I am because my passport does say I'm Ecuadorian, but I can't tell you much about what it means to be Ecuadorian. Right. So anyways, that's where it started. We would go between Ecuador and Northern California. So Redding, which is like basically right off the I-5 in the center of Northern California, very far north. And then um, I've lived in Colorado when my parents moved there from California after I graduated high school. I did a brief stint with an organization called Youth with a Mission, which was part of my radical Christian days in uh, Costa Rica. And then I moved to North Carolina after that, which is where my husband lived at the time was not my husband. Um, and he had a really great community of friends that I was drawn to and was like, Oh, this would be, I want to surround myself with these people. So I graduated from high school and moved to North Carolina. And then he and I kind of, after a while we got married. And then after a few years decided we were ready for a change and, um, wanted to just kind of do something completely different than we'd been doing. And, him being a chef, Seattle was really appealing. And then also like I used to live on the West coast and we both really love mountains and nature. And we were just like, we want to get outside more. So let's just, we visited Seattle one time, let's move there. So we packed everything we owned into our forerunner and we spent two and a half months traveling across the country and then finally settled in Seattle. And that's where we're picking up, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's your journey here. Mm-hmm. And what brought you to this amazing city. Yeah. That we love. That we love so much. So much. Um, If you need more, you can. Yeah, I'm going to need more wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... Where did we go last time with this? I'm mm. trying to think. I feel like we connected it at that point to us meeting in the beginning of that maybe well the beginning of my journey of self-discovery yeah I think that was it yeah so do you want to get more wine yeah okay before we dive into these questions yeah do you want more I'm pretty good right now okay Sarah's gonna go get some more wine and since we're recording I'm just gonna keep talking because that's fun to do um, yeah. 
Sarah is a very phenomenal person and probably one of the best bakers I've ever met in my life. And she's out of the room, so I can say all the things about her that I would say to her face and do say to her face, but also I want, um, yeah, she's just phenomenal. And our stories are so interesting. So I'm going to wait for her to come back. We'll just pause here for a minute. Woo woo! Penny's trying to sneak in. Penny. My dog is trying to sneak in. Okay, I'm back. Okay, back with wine in hand. With wine in hand that I picked up. Wonderful. Yeah, it's delicious. Mm, I like it. Um, so that's kind of a nice segue. What have you done uh, career-wise mm-hmm. since you've been in Seattle? Food has always been yeah. a part of our lives, like we said. Ben is an amazing chef. You're an incredible baker. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. So... Career-wise, I think it's it's important for me to point out that when I was like 18 years old, I was convinced that I was going to follow in my parents' footsteps and be a missionary. And I didn't necessarily need it to look the way that they did it. I wanted to be a little bit more like radical and liberal, but I still felt this like need that like the calling on my life was to convert people to Christianity or at least like show them Jesus's love. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so at 18, I was like, I I'm, I'm a people person. I always have been, God gave me this gift. This is what I told myself at the time. I need to use that. And I remember feeling like frustrated looking around at other people who were like going to college and claiming uh, what is that called? Your focus? A, uh, a calling? No. no a, at college. Your, oh, your, your major. Your major, yeah. <laughs> People were like, they like knew what they wanted to do and knew what they wanted to be when they grew up. And I was like, I don't know. I just like people. I'm good at talking to people. So I was convinced that like my calling was to be missionary. <clears throat> and I wanted to eventually move overseas to do that. But Um, I was like, I'm going to be a missionary wherever I go. And so I like, it kind of made sense to me to work in like counter service because that was a great way to like meet random people and try to make their day better and talk to them and whatever, yada, yada, yada. So it, I, the first, first real job I ever got was like Starbucks and I learned about coffee and it was whatever, but that all, that led to me working in different coffee shops along the way and then eventually like getting to learn how to bake at different coffee shops and so that idea of like customer service and baking was always a part of what I did um when I moved to Seattle I spent a little bit of time at a bagel shop where I did meet a really great friend named Tracy who I'm so glad I'm still friends with um and then from there I what did I do from there from, From there, there went the Wandering Goose. I went to the Wandering Goose and was the biscuit baker for the weekend. The biscuit bitch? The biscuit bitch. Slash, there is a company called Biscuit, biscuit bitch, bitch in Seattle, Seattle. Yeah. that I did not work for. No. But I was the biscuit bitch. <laughs> um, I still make those biscuits to this day, and they are like the thing that I 
say I'm good at baking. She's so good. They're really good. So good. <laughs> um, and while I was doing that, I also worked part-time at a farm, which is like a job that Brittany hooked me up with. It was a farmer that she knew from working at the market. Well, like directing the market and being in charge of it and being the market bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> except market bitch sounds like you're just like doing the side work. She was the market boss bitch. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. With like the crown on her head. Um, you were the biscuit so, boss bitch. Then. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We both had our crowns. Yeah. So Brittany, I, I told her that I wanted to learn more about the other side of cooking, which is like growing vegetables. I had served food. I had made food. I wanted to learn about growing food. And so um, Brittany basically was my resume. Like I had no experience whatsoever. <laughs> but the when I had my interview, I drove out to the farm and the my boss, who wasn't yet my boss, was like, well, Brittany says you're good. So are you reliable? <laughs> and I was like, yep. And he's like, great, you got the job. Um, And that was like an incredible experience for me. I got to spend a whole season out in the field learning about everything from irrigation and weeding to starting seeds, just transplanting tiny little leak starts that are like the size of a string into a hundred yards of dirt on the ground and that takes forever and it's obnoxious and you want to yell at them but you're like you're a beautiful vegetable so I can't yell at you because I want you to grow up happy and healthy and not sad so (laughs) I did that for a season and then that was ending and it's really hard to afford to live in Seattle on a farmer's salary so then I was like you know I really care about hospitality and at that point I still was like kind of holding on to the idea of Christianity and wanting to make a difference in other people's lives. And so I was like, I could pay to go to hospitality school or I could get paid to be trained in hospitality from the people who are known for doing it best. So then I went and wrote a very charming email to the hiring team at Canlis and said, hey, this is why you should hire me. I'm passionate about hospitality. And I work really hard and I had no experience like actually serving in a restaurant, let alone fine dining. But it was really cool in my first week there to like to I remember being in the dry storage and seeing um, this type of squash that is not very common. It's called Thelma Sanders. And I was like, those squash are labeled Thelma Sanders and those squash seeds are from Tonemakers. And I'm like, I grew those squash like I planted the seeds in our in our greenhouse and I transplanted them into the field and I weeded them during the super hot itchy months and then I harvested them and now I'm seeing them going on a plate that I'm serving people and that was like a really beautiful full circle picture for me of getting to see like I got to be involved in every stage of growing this and now it's going to feed people and that was like really cool for me Hmm. um and I worked there for three years and Moved my way from like food runner, bottom of the pole, bottom of the ladder, and like worked my way up to become a lead server, which I never thought that I would do because I didn't know anything about wine. And I was like, how am I going to do this? This is a crazy, crazy thing for people to do. And I, and I did it and I rocked it and I was really good at it. And I liked it in a lot of ways. And then in a lot of ways, I was like, I want to do something else. And then the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. and 
basically that job wasn't there anymore, which was really convenient timing because I was ready to be done with it. It was like, it was very exhausting and I was feeling burnt out. And in the pandemic, one of the reboots they did at the restaurant was a CSA program, community supported agriculture. Um, So we would purchase a bunch of produce from local farmers and then put it all together in a box and sell that to people in the community. And I actually got to be the manager of that program. And that was like, that to me is my favorite thing that I ever got to do at Canlis was like, be the person connecting the farmers to the people and getting their produce that normally they'd be selling at restaurants that they couldn't sell at restaurants, like actually letting them make a make money off of their harvest for that year, and then getting that into the hands of people. Um, So that was that was the last thing I did there. And then, and then that program ended and I was like, I got to do something else. And now I'm working as a wine purchaser at a little cafe in Ballard. And it's crazy that that's my job because when I first started at Canlis, I didn't know anything about wine. So there's a lot of ways that I undersell myself. And yeah, I think do. it's good to remember that story that like I pushed really hard to, to, I don't know, to want to do it my way also. Like, I don't approach wine in this like rigid way where it has to be like, I taste this because I'm drinking this grape. I try to just focus on like, what is your experience? And that's valid because it's your own. So that's kind of my philosophy behind Mm. it. I like that. Yeah. For folks listening who may not have ever been to Seattle, Canlis is our ultimate fine dining restaurant. In the mm-hmm. city, mm-hmm. it sits and looks out over Lake Union, which is one of the lakes that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And it um, is like I think sixty years old. It's a super mid century seventy, yeah, mid century mid century like building house looking thing mm-hmm. restaurant, and it's beautiful and the some of the best meal experiences of my life have happened there. John David worked there for a little bit. Mm. I was, what was I, Ben and I were watching something the other day and it reminded me of the first day that John David worked at Canlis. I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember what the reference is, but I'll tell you, John David got a job at Canlis and um, I was the only one who knew him when he started there. And I remember walking into the, we call it the executive room. It was the room where like we all would sit and eat dinner before we started service and where bill gates eats when he eats there yeah it's a fancy room so i walk in and there's john david sitting at the table and all these all my other co-workers and there was like this incredible feeling of like like i'd been working with all these other people for a while i knew them but i looked and saw a friend that i knew from elsewhere and it just was like it was a really beautiful moment to me i was so excited and he saw me and we both got up and like gave each other a huge hug and everybody was looking at us like, wow, like, how does Sarah know this new shiny person <laughs> with a Southern accent who's so charming that everybody is like enjoying listening to him tell jokes. And I was like, really? so proud of like, this is my friend, you guys. <laughs> my friend is here now. My friends. Anyways, oh. that was, that was a special memory for me. Yeah. Getting to work with him. Yes. A good time. I loved going to Canlis mm-hmm. when you both worked there. It was fun. I would sit at the bar. Yep. Drink all the drinks. Not all yep. of them, but a lot of them. They're expensive. <laughs> They're like $20 a piece, but. Um, so we touched on this a little bit, 
But I mm-hmm. want to ask specifically if you can tell me a little bit about and maybe describe you some you know describe a little bit mm-hmm. your journey over the last few years of self empowerment and discovery. I know that we've talked about like your career journey, what brought yeah. you out here, but I think that your story is so important when it comes to just like the journey from how you were raised Mm -hmm. and your journey over the last five to seven years specifically too on um yeah just what that looks like going from I'm not gonna like I'll let you tell your story but going from where you were to where you are now which is you know I want to name it as post-christian or yeah I feel comfortable with that okay okay Yeah, yeah can you just tell me us, so, your listeners. My dear listeners. <laughs> okay, so you've heard a little bit about how I was raised. I was a missionary kid. Mm-hmm. I haven't yet told you all that as a child of missionaries, my parents lived in the town of Guayaquil, Ecuador. It's where I was born. It's on the coast. It's a port city. It's very big and very humid and hot. Um, but they wanted us to, myself and my two older sisters, they wanted us to have a good education, um, to be taken care of and to be at a Christian school. So they actually sent us to boarding school, which was in a different city in the middle of the Andes mountains in Quito, uh, a very beautiful place. Um, but a very, very, very hard thing to go through as a child because I lived not in my parents' home. My parents' home was where I went on vacations, like Christmas and summer. And um, my family, we didn't really know. I mean, it hurts to say now, but we didn't really know what it meant to be a family with each other because we were so often apart. Um, And even when I was at school with my sisters, um, we were, the three of us were living in a dorm with about 35 other kids from age six to age 18. There were, for those 40 kids or so, there was four adults who we called our dorm parents who were like in charge of us. But If you think about it, if you're one of 20 children with two adults to those 20 children, like you're not getting much one-on-one time and you're not getting to be parented, you know? And I I can look back on my life and see that I just wanted to be parented. Um, I wanted somebody to ask how my day went and to see the subtle look on my face like I'm about to cry without having to say I want to cry to someone that I didn't know very well. Um, so that was like, that's a big part of what has shaped me in my life and a big part of the, my journey over the last few years has been going to therapy and processing that and trying to work through how that shaped me and how it's affected me in relationships with other people, um, and, and how, through that, through that lens, I I kind of clung onto the idea of Christianity because even within my family, the idea was my parents were always, they said this out loud. They were always sending us 
or giving us back to Jesus because we belonged to him anyways. Um, so it was kind of this idea that, or at least the way I interpret it was like, God's going to raise your kids and he'll be okay because my parents really did believe that God was all loving and would be like taking care of me and my sisters. And I, I held on to that idea for a really long time because I mean, it was lonely and it was hard and it was sad. And there are so many times where I remember like clinging to my friend's parents because I just wanted that kind of a relationship. Um, so that is, it's something that I didn't really even start seeing as a negative thing in my life um, until I was like 24 maybe. And I started realizing like, oh, this actually, like for years I had defended my parents' decision and was like, no, they had a calling. It was what they were supposed to do. And then I started realizing like, this actually really affected me. And like, I'm doing good these days, but I still have times where I'll come upon a memory and just like break down because it, it, it causes you to question, am I truly loved? Is God loved more than I am? That's something you and I have talked about, Brittany. This idea that like your parents are always going to put God first. And so you can't be loved uh, unconditionally because God is loved. And then you're human and you're sinful. So you don't quite measure up. Yeah, there's a condition uh, <clears throat> around it, right? There's like the condition of God. God is the condition right. with which somebody loves you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. yes. This is yeah. something that we both have addressed and talked about a lot. And I think that it's something that a lot of people struggle with and don't know how to put that into words. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so um, that... That was the very shaping thing of my childhood. Um, and it's a it's a weird thing. There's not a ton of people that I know who have been through something similar to that. Um, which can often make me feel like an outsider. Like, oh, people just don't get me because they didn't experience this or whatever. Um, it, it's something that has brought me a lot closer to my sisters who have gone through the same thing. Um But yeah, that definitely shaped me. And as an adult, over the last three to five years, I've been decompressing what it means to me. Um, Kind of for the first time, I've been making my family talk about it. Because once we all did move back into the same home, we didn't really ever talk about it. What it meant or how it made us feel or what we had hoped it would do. There just was no processing ever as a family together. And, and so we're doing that now as like my parents are in their sixties, seventies, and we're all in our thirties and we're just now like starting to work through how it has hurt and, and um, what does it look like to move forward after having that kind of a past? Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously that's been a huge part of the last three years, especially for me. Um, and therapy has helped a lot. Shout um, out. I think that Brittany is probably one of the people that gave me the courage to go to therapy. Um, I remember starting to think, it was really when I moved to Seattle and started having a crisis of everything. An identity crisis, a faith crisis, a what I used to think relationships were, um, 
believing in love, like all these things that had been so foundational for me were shaken to the core. And, um, you know, North Carolina is a pretty conservative place. No. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) growing up in a Christian bubble all the time, like, you know, even though I walked in circles that I would say were pretty radical, like we talked about last time, the, um, Shane Claiborne Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that was like a pretty emerging church yeah it was kind of controversial at the time because the intention was not so much on like what are the rules of Christianity but like truly living like Jesus and so I thought that I was being radical but was also so very close-minded in a lot of ways and um really judgmental and I I used to Mm. think I used to get frustrated when I would hear people like I would hear them like repeating what they heard their parents saying growing up. And I thought I wasn't like that. And then I've realized recently, like a lot of things that I held on to so dearly were things I inherited from my parents. I'm like, Oh, what does that mean to look at those things and say, like, I don't agree with this. And, um, even just having the courage to say, like, I have an opinion that's different from my parents or my community like that takes a lot of courage, or at least for me, it has taken a lot of courage. Um, and I, I feel like I was really taught not to trust my own intuition mm-hmm. as a Christian and as a woman in the Christian faith. Like a, as a, as a Christian, I was taught like my intuition is bad. Inherently it's bad because I'm uh, a human and humans are inherently sinful. So anything that's my intuition is like the opposite of what's right. So that's kind of, that's a problem because that causes you to second guess everything and not ever trust your own opinion. And then also as a woman in the Christian church, it was like, you're not the leader. You're not the one who's in direct contact with God kind of. And my parents probably wouldn't agree with that, but that was a lot of the community that I was around. Um, and, uh, just like you don't lead, you follow. Um, yeah, a lot of it really came down to that. Like inherently you're a sinner. And so whatever is your inherent thought towards something is wrong. Um, so yeah. that that caused a lot of identity crisis. Realizing like most of my life I did not trust my own intuition. And I think that our intuition is like, it's in, super important. Yep. It's a huge part of who we are. And, um, I think being in like in communion with who you are is really important. And if you're at war with who you are, you're never gonna have the courage to do things that are hard. You're not going to believe you can, you're not going to push yourself. You're not going to expect things from other people because you are constantly warring with like what it means to be human. Um, so that's a big thing that I have struggled with. And I remember when I got to Seattle, like starting to hear this idea of self love. And I was like, what is this? This is like very progressive compared to what I had learned in Christianity. Because to me in Christianity, I had seen everything as I couldn't love myself. I could only love God. Like all the songs were like empty me. Rid me of everything that is human and everything that is my own and put God in there instead. So the idea was get rid of anything that was of my own to put God in there. And I remember being sad when I would hear friends talk about like, 
oh, I'm like learning self-power and self-love. And I'm sad now from the me that was sad about that then, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. It does. Um, because like power is not a negative thing. It can be. It can be misused. We see that all the time. But we see it in the church. Yeah. Like a lot. We see it by with white men, white Christian men. I mean, I'm fresh off of the fact that and I'll, I want to get back to what we're talking about, but I'm fresh off of this um, murder, this mass murder that has happened that happened in Atlanta yesterday mm. of eight Asian women that were killed by a white Christian man who got away with it and said that it wasn't a hate crime because he uh, was trying to rid himself of his sexual desire. So he took that out on women. And because he's a Christian and he said that, it's not considered a hate crime. What the fuck? Right. How that's is that so not power? Twisted. So I'm just, that's my rant for It's like a permission right slip. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that there's nothing more freeing. You know, when, when I started asking questions and like deconverting from Christianity, everybody said, well, you're going to end up this way or that way, which I hate being put into boxes. But at the end of the day... I'm so much freer. Like Mm -hmm. I'm free from that judgment. I'm free from that shame. Um, I'm free from that like self-hatred. Yeah. And I'm embracing that self-love. Yeah. That I have this power within me, this positive power. Mm -hmm. Getting back to what you were saying. Mm -hmm. Like power isn't a negative thing. No. Except for when it's used by white men to kill people. Yeah, except for when it's abused. Abused. But there's something beautiful in, like, the pow- the empowerment of autonomy. Mm. Um, like, I used to be so scared to spend time alone. Because I thought when I was alone, I wasn't doing anything to further the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I was a waste of time and space if I wasn't always working toward bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so like time alone with myself was terrifying. I was so anxious. I was depressed. I would break down crying. I was just like, I'm not, when I'm alone, I'm not worth anything. Um, and that has changed a lot. Um, I used to think that I was like only an extrovert. And I think a lot of that had to do with anxiety mm-hmm. and a fear of being alone. And one of the things I've learned over the last few years is that like, I have a lot of times where I'm really introverted and I just want to like go into this amazing garden of my own mind and just play with thoughts and be there. And that can be like, that can be one of the most beautiful times. It's like, I often, it's hard to describe, but I often will feel like, like I have fuses on my left side and my right side of my brain. And if I haven't had enough alone time, they're like, they're not connected mm-hmm. and they're all mm-hmm. afraid. Mm-hmm. And then spending time alone, getting lost in a book or doing yoga or going on a walk and just like looking really closely at all the tiny little bits of the plants, talking to an animal. <laughs> like those are the kinds of things when I'm just like with myself, I'm finding so much freedom and I feel like these, 
like these frayed fuses on either side of my brain are like being reforged in that time. Mm. And it's, it's so cool to see how that can happen. But that took like years of me working on it and having to say like, like facing the fear of being alone Mm -hmm. and being able to say the time that I spend with myself alone is like worthwhile. And I, as a human being, am worth investing in by myself. Um, that's been a huge step for me, like recognizing what that means to me and the value of, uh, yeah, the value of becoming my own friend. Yeah. I feel like that's something that we missed out on. I know, I mean, I know that your experience was very different from mine growing up, Mm -hmm. but also it was similar Mm -hmm. because there was this self soothing that you had to do because when you didn't have your parents around, Mm -hmm. but I think there are a lot of, kids that grew up in a christian church christian way of life Mm -hmm. that had to do a lot of self-soothing but also self-soothing but also had to were were terrified of being by themselves with being Mm -hmm. with their thoughts of like acknowledging the fact that they had anxiety Mm -hmm. and then when they would tell their parents the parents would just pray about it or for you not even having parents there to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But if there would have been somebody, some adult that would have been like, I see you. I see that you are having anxiety. What can I do to help? Mm -hmm. Or like, Hey, it's okay to play around in your brain. Instead of always having to go to like, well, pray about it or go to somebody else. Like don't trust yourself. There was never that trust yourself. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. There was never a thing that was, taught Mm -hmm. and so it's I think that at the core is like the most damaging part of growing up in that like that distrust of yourself so you don't like you touched on earlier like you don't ever uh, believe yourself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and still it's something that I struggle with today is like trusting that I know what I'm talking about right Uh Mm uh-huh or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I feel like this is something I talked about last time and something we talk about is that um like I, I've grown exponentially. I've grown so much in my self value and self worth and uh trusting my own intention. But I still like from day to day struggle with like I can see myself as really valuable in myself, but then also like trying to see myself the way that people who love me see me, like that's still something I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I just feel like that's, that's going to be like the work of my life mm-hmm. is like being able to see myself as truly loved by other people and the people who don't like being able to let go of that and have it not matter. Because for me, a big part of all of this also was like people pleasing Mm -hmm. and trying to keep everyone else happy. And um, like even this week, I've struggled a little bit. Like I felt super introverted and I I like consumed a whole novel in like 36 hours and it was amazing. And I feel like I'm a whole new person because I read this novel and got to experience this other – it's like someone else's – uh, someone else's consciousness I got to consume for 36 hours. And it's amazing. 
And I love it. And then you come out of that and you're like, how do I share that with other people? And do I have to share that with other people? And what does it mean to like spend so much time with myself in my own brain? And then am I being a good enough friend to other people? And um, I think like learning to work through the guilt of that. And I, I was trying to tell myself like, do I judge my really close friends when they are feeling more introverted or when they're like pulling away a little bit because they need time to themselves? And I do think I used to judge it a lot because, because I was raised in a very judgmental environment. But now it's like, like if you were being a little bit distant, I used to think like, oh shit, Brittany's upset with me or I've done something. And now I'm like, oh, Brittany's just like needs time. And it doesn't have anything to do with me. She's just like taking care of herself. Cause I know that that's something that you care about and you value. And so I think for me being able to say like, Am I mad at my friends when they take time to, like, be with themselves? No. So I don't need to be worried that I'm not, like, that that other people's view of me isn't just, isn't more important than my view of me. Like, they're both equally important. Yes. And for people who don't care about me, maybe they're less important. Yep. That's, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's totally fair. Yeah. I want to do a time check. We have, like, 20 minutes. I want to get through these. Okay. Next couple questions. Cool. Before I have to go to the board meeting. Yeah. Blech. The board meeting. Um. Yeah, I think that that's. Yeah, I think self discovery, naming it, just like I think that's the most important, like naming what it is that you're discovering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leads to my next question, which is around. Where are you finding that you can fully be yourself? Where and when? Yeah. I think I've hit on it a little bit already uh-huh. talking about my own brain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a super freeing thing for me, just getting to explore my own brain. Um, and I love that. That's like the most me that I can be is when there's not another human being around and I don't worry about any kind of judgment and I'm just like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I want or I'm going to spend my time thinking about what I want. And that's like, I don't know, like, like I'll, I'll write, I journal, but I process a lot of things within my own brain. And that is like a beautiful resource to me. Hmm. And then on top of that, um, and kind of piggybacking off of it is nature. This is something we've talked about before. Um, to me, Nature is like the best thing. It's it's very not human. Like yes, nature is being very affected by humans, like climate change and global warming. Those things like that depresses me. It makes me really sad because like our planet we're running out of a lot of our resources and we're just consuming consuming consuming. But there's something incredibly beautiful about being in a place that it doesn't have, it's not all about technology. It's, I, I don't see the thumbprint of human beings. And mm-hmm. I just see like nature, this wild and incredibly powerful thing that was here before me. And that's going to be here way after me, yep. just like existing and just being. And, um, I am kind of a mystic in the ways that like, You know, last winter, I would tell you I had a snowball fight with a cedar tree in my front yard. (laughs) 
but it was just like this beautiful moment where I was outside and the wind was blowing and it was knocking snow off the tree and I felt like I was having this like interaction with something even though it wasn't human it was still like me and nature getting to engage and Mm -hmm. maybe nature on the receiving end isn't aware of it or like doesn't care but for me that's like a beautiful thing of like getting to connect with the nature around me um so like going for a hike or going swimming is a huge one for me just being able to be in this safe little space where it's either me and no one or me and this incredibly beautiful, powerful thing that I call nature. Um, But then also over the last few years, I have been learning that I can be myself with really trusted friends and my partner. And even that is hard. Like this summer I'll have been married to Ben for 10 years and A lot of the last year, what we've talked about is how I've been like struggling to really let him into where I'm at. And um, I think that comes from a place of like from my childhood, from some broken relationships and from having had friends where I'm just trying to please them and not really being myself. Mm -hmm. There's come a lot of fear of like, will I be rejected? Will they see this um, negative side of me? Will they see this part of me that's not the perfect primed, pruned, sunshiny Sarah and reject me or decide they're going to give up on me. And um, Brittany and her partner have especially been some of the people besides my own partner who have shown me again and again and again that they're a safe space for me to show up and be. And I don't have to be this perfect version of myself because that's not really real. Mm -mm. But that like who I am, whether it's up or down, like that there's space for that. And um, so, yeah, like finding a community of people who will push you to be a better version of yourself, but also make space for you when, when you don't want to perform, when you don't want to, when you don't want to feel like you have to live up to this thing that you can't be at that moment and to know that who you are is enough, even if it's not this like perfect version. Um Yeah, so, like, learning that I can trust other human beings, that's been huge. It's been really hard, but been huge and transformative in my life. Finding people that are worthy of my trust, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that they're perfect either, but it's just, like, they've shown me that they care and that they're there and that they hold space for me. And so even on the times that I might disappoint or let them down, like, they don't hold that against me. It's just, like, Sarah's a human And there's just space for humanity in that kind of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're taught so often in church this idea of grace. And I want to, like, reclaim that Mm. in a post-Christian sense. Because I think grace is such an important concept. um, But the word has been kind of ruined for me. But, like, I think it's so important to give each other grace and to give each other space and everything else that rhymes with ace. But... (laughs) Um, that just like vase, vase, a vase of flowers. Vase of flowers. See, it all works. Um, <laughs> just like this idea of of grace is so important, and not grace because somebody else told us that we should have grace for mm-hmm. one another, but because we love each other. Out of yeah, because we so love each would, other. How would you describe grace in in the way that you're looking at it? <sighs> Giving. Uh, each other the benefit of the doubt Mm, mm -hmm. 
like knowing, like you said, that we're human and that right. we are not perfect right. and that we're not striving to be perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have to. We can right. just live and exist. Yeah. I was talking to my therapist this week about things like this and she was telling me that, and I didn't know this, but like, there's something about, and I don't really know what I think about it because this doesn't really leave a lot of space for our trans brothers and sisters, but Mm -hmm. this idea of like feminine or like female parts getting their energy from the ground Hmm. and male parts getting their energy from the sky, like something that we, and so it links our inherent feminism and our femininity to the earth. And mm-hmm. why there's Mother Earth. Hmm. And she was mm-hmm. also telling me that she's getting really into ritual and ritual around celebrating Mother Nature. Mm. And especially being in a place where we have kicked all of the Native peoples out of and claimed it. But, like, getting back to that, maybe the Native, they do. Maybe the Native people, like, had it all figured out. And we, as this white Christian nation, came in and ruined it for everybody yeah but like they this like mother nature idea is Mm -hmm. so true Mm -hmm. and why i think a lot of women are drawn to nature Mm. as something that's healing Mm -hmm. because we're like literally part of that yeah instead of this male quote-unquote male god even though i know Mm. that inherently the god in the bible was written about being both male and female yeah but like just us claiming something mm-hmm. as our own. And I think nature is just so beautiful. And so I want to yeah. claim it as women. That was very yeah. long and maybe Terry will cut no, this. No, I, but... <laughs> I get what you mean. Uh-huh. And I think that makes me just really quick want to talk about an experience I had two summers ago, I think it was, when we were at the Metolius River mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So this insanely beautiful river in central Oregon called the Metolius. And we were there... Mostly because so many of the partners love to go fly fishing, and that's a big part of it. My brother. Brittany's husband. My husband. Ben's yeah. kind of into fishing, you know. Yeah. He, yeah, he, yeah, he dabbles. Yeah. But me and um, you and our, right. my sister-in-law and our we were there compadre, Allie. Yeah. We were there for the just, like, enjoyment of nature. Um, and I was reading this book called The Dance of the Dissident Daughter, which I recommend for... Anyone who grew up in any woman, especially who grew up in the Christian church or self-identifying as woman, um, trying to to Monk kid kid, processing that and like being like working through letting go of that and reclaiming your own feminine nature. Um, Anyway, I just had this experience where we were walking along the river and there were butterflies coming up out of the trees as we were walking by. And I was at the back of the line and Brittany and Allie were like, Sarah, for, I don't know why they said this, but they were like, you need to be at the front experiencing this because this is something that I know is just going to like resonate so deeply with your soul. And I'm like leading the front of the line and maybe they knew, maybe they didn't know, but I'm just like weeping as I'm walking because A, so many thousands of butterflies are just like flapping around my face. And then the like gift that my friends gave me of saying like, you should be in, in front experiencing this firsthand. And then I found this like beautiful lagoon 
and I felt like I needed to go swimming and there are wild lupins and flowers all over. And it was this like experience almost of like, I baptized myself, which mm-hmm. felt like for me really meaningful, like, like the beginning of letting go of this, like, I need to be washed in the blood of Christ in order to be worth anything and being like, I'm just going to get in the water and be with mother nature. And like, I get to baptize myself. I'm the one who says I am good and I am worthy and I'm surrounded by wildflowers and butterflies while I'm doing it. And a witness of two of my closest friends. And that was like a huge thing for me that like that it, it embodied my own self with myself. It embodied being with women and people who like have a safe space for me and it embodied being with nature. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a really good example. Yes. That kind of makes me go into the next question. My last question Mm -hmm. of today is how feminism has been a resource for you. How has, I mean, I talked in my podcast that like Mm -hmm. being naked um, was like how I'm fully myself. And I think about the times that we've been, swimming naked together and I want to do more of that this summer Mm -hmm. um but how has it helped you because I think that it's something that as we come out of this Christian world and background into like this post-Christian existence it looks so different for everybody for me I like clung on to being a woman and um I want to recognize that I am a privileged white woman and that's a real thing but like it was what saved me feminism mm. is what saved me in the long run to realize that I'm beautiful as a woman mm-hmm. and not an object of somebody else's affection or story right um that I'm my own subject of my yeah. own story <clears throat> yeah um so how has feminism been a resource for you yeah I mean I got to say, like, it's something that when I was growing up, I felt uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. It felt like um, hubris. It felt like uh, arrogance. And I was like, that's a bad thing. That's horrible because I'm nothing without God. Um, God is male. And, like, even indirectly, I took on that idea that, like, God is male. And um, the people whose opinion I should listen to are, like, male leaders in the church. and. I'm not saying I bought into it a hundred percent because I've kind of always liked to challenge what was being told to me from above. Um, but I think like getting to see other women as like other women don't have to be a threat to me. They can actually be like a part of my, uh, my safe space. And, um, like I don't know, just building relationships with women who really loved and accepted me for who I was. And I've had a lot of different relationships in my life where I've had that. Um, But I don't know, like, I, I don't know that I in my life would say like it was specifically the idea of feminism, but I can look at it and see that feminism like, um, shaped a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And it's been this kind of like flowing course throughout it of like, learning to embrace my own feminine power and recognize that that's a beautiful thing. And within Christianity, that was often something that I I kind of got the idea that was like, it was scary. Like my feminine power was like what caused men to stumble. And uh, I had to take on the responsibility of covering my body to keep other men from my brothers in Christ from sinning. And there was so much pressure put on like, 
myself as a woman and the things I was allowed to say and the things I was allowed to do and the space that I could take up and um, even just my my sexuality or not even sexuality, but just like my physical body taking up space was like something that had to be monitored Mm -hmm. and something that had to be like, I had to always be thinking about how my body was affecting the men around me. Mm -hmm. Um, But men got a pass, you know, because they couldn't help it because they were that way. That's what I was taught. And so I think like finding, being able to lean into like, believing that my body is beautiful, um, that it's good to be able to have sexual pleasure. Like that's a huge thing, you know, like being raised as a Christian, like I was so terrified of that idea because does that mean that I'm a, like not, does that mean that I'm a sinner, you know? And I don't know. So just, just working through a lot of those things and, and finding a community of women who are strong and empowered and having them there to push me or to build me up or getting to be that voice myself for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, back at Canlis in the locker room, a lot of times I would come in on Saturdays, which were like the hardest day of the week. And I would be like surrounded by all these other women. And I'm like, girls, it's a velvet panties day. And the velvet mm-hmm. panties were like the source of power. I saw it as like, I'm a superhero And this is my anti-kryptonite. It's like my thing that gives me the strength. And something about it, just like something about this touch of femininity for me as Velvet was a way to connect with that and to say like, I'm going to source power from my femininity and I can inspire other people to do it too. And so I think like talking about it out loud and uh, not hiding those kinds of things really empowered me. And I saw it empowering the other women around me. Like, I want to be that source of power for other women of like, own who you are, embrace who you are. Um, and, and then being able, like in helping other people do that, getting to do it for myself. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. I think something you touched on that I want to talk about a little bit more is that you said you don't like actually think of a time when you were like acknowledging the fact that you were starting being a feminist, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it was just a natural journey. Yeah. Uh, as per the subject of our podcast. But like, I think that's so important because growing up in a Christian setting, you have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Like it's gotta be this thing where you like make this cognitive decision of I'm going to accept Jesus into my heart or I'm going to do this or I'm going to choose to do this. It's mm-hmm, all about choices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for me, feminism was like just this natural it just like came into my life yeah. and I just like accepted it and it wasn't this concrete thing it was just like oh no women are incredible all yeah. women all women are incredible and um inherently beautiful and yeah. like just embracing that and it wasn't like a I remember my mom asked me one time if I was a women's liber and I was like yeah I guess so like (laughs) but there's always like that you have to like name it so many times when you're in when you're like talking to somebody in who has to put you in this box right right and it's not it's like it's not about the box it's about what else is outside the box right we so often limit ourselves because we're trying to put parameters around our experience we're trying Mm -hmm. to describe our experience and we limit it by doing that Mm-hmm. Where, like, it is so much more of a fluid thing that's happening. Yeah. And yeah. That, 
that like makes me as we're wrapping up here I want to like I think a lot of times I've been thinking about how we as women who have come out of the Christian tradition and the way that we have don't really have a lot of resources out there in a mm-hmm. way that we think that we do but I don't think that resources look the same I think yeah. we come from a place where you have to like once you get out this there's this idea of we don't all have to have the same experience going out on our journeys after this Christian tradition looks so different. The important part of the community, there's not like in Christian culture, there's this idea that your community has to all agree on all of these set principles right. and ideas. And then when you get out of it, mm-hmm. there's this, we hold space for one another yeah. and your experience may look totally different from my experience. And we may have some parts of our journeys that intersect and, you know, meet up, but there are other parts that don't. Mm-hmm. And we hold space for that. Yeah. And we love each other regardless of where we go from there. Right. And it's, I think, representative of the box of Christian tradition and like the box of community and what that has to look like mm-hmm. as opposed to like being post-Christian and being like, Bigger than. Yeah. And more than that. Boundless. It's boundless. It's actually Ceaseless. really beautiful. I was t- yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Ceaseless. Like Ceaseless. Ben with his sauces. <laughs> I was going to work it in. I had to work it in. Ben is the we best bring it back. sauce maker ever. The man is obsessed with condiments. Because they're the best. You know. I mean, it is a great way to eat. Like you have chicken and you have potatoes or you have rice. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you have sauces to go uh-huh, with. And uh-huh. depending on what kind of sauces you have, that dish can take on any different personification. Uh-huh. Anything can happen depending on the sauces you have available. I hope that all of our listeners uh, will one day be able to see the perfection that is a Ben and Sarah dinner party. Where I think it just like encapsulates who you two are as people. When I think about when you have us over, mm-hmm. everything is laid out beautifully like a Instagram shoot or a magazine. Like Props to Ben. That's all Ben. Well, no, it's also props to you. Give yourself <laughs> the credit. Uh, everything's just so well thought out and the food is incredible and the ambiance is perfect and the conversation's good and it's always thoughtful and there's mm. always like questions that are that we talk about that we touch on and it's just yeah it's just a magical time when we're together Mm. you know there's gonna be intention and you know there's gonna be care yep and you know there's gonna be a space to just come and show up with whatever you have at the time yep and that's pretty cool that's pretty freeing to have that in a relationship with someone yeah and that's i think who you are as a friend just like this Mm. yeah you hold space you listen, you feel, and you, like, journey with me. I try to be that. You are that. And I think I think it's been easier in my life to do that for other people than to do it for myself. So, for me, the work is finding that, like, belief that I have of of how convinced I am that other people are worthy and valuable and inherently just like beautiful and unique. And then 
and and getting to apply that to myself as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's the work that I'm continuing in my life. Further seeing my own beautiful humanity, further seeing the beautiful humanity of others. Yeah, because when you see it in yourself, you see it in other people. Right. And it makes you understand everybody else's journeys. Yeah. So much yeah, more. absolutely. And when you judge yourself, all you're going to do is judge other people. Yep. So start to make space for and embrace your own humanity. Mm-hmm. For me personally, at least that has led to me embracing the humanity of others. And just like sitting with the idea that when I'm with another human being, I'm experiencing a whole entire conscious universe. And they're like choosing to share that with me for a little bit. And that when I share myself, I'm sharing a whole entire conscious universe with someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like sauces. Humans are like sauces. Humans are like sauces. We're all How so. We're just all different. Everybody needs a little dunk every once in a while. <laughs> we all have our own things. That we we all up. complement other yes. things. Yeah, I could see that. We're tasty. We're little snacks. Yeah, little snacks. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's power behind a sauce. Yep. Mm. Sauce can make a whole dish, man. Yep. Each and oh. every one of you are your own unique sauces. Sauce. Yes. Yes. What sauce would you be? Uh, Ben's amazing green sauce. The green sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, I you mean? know. If you don't, you'll have to come eat some green sauce. I might be like. Not Hidden Valley, but like a buttermilk ranch with fresh mm. herbs. That herbs might be me. Or mustard. I could be. I could be a mustard. And I'm just hungry. Cool. Yeah, me too. Well, <laughs> thank you, Sarah, for spending this time with me twice. Mm. Any day, Brittany. Thank you, Brittany, for choosing to honor me as your guest of on this podcast. Of course. Thank you, all you listeners. Yeah. We think the world of you. We do. Yep. Yep. You two are so saucy. (laughs) I feel like you should leave that in the podcast. (laughs) Just come back in. Thanks, Brittany and Sarah, for that powerful and vulnerable conversation. You two made the first episode of Tag Your It remarkable and truly a success. I appreciate both of your willingness to participate record, and then re-record your talk. As always, thanks to our listeners for journeying with us.